Hi, and welcome everybody. This is the McKenzie Show. This is uh, uh, Tara, Georgia, and Kate McKenzie interviewing Colin McKenzie about his incredible new book, Pressing My Luck, out now on Amazon. And uh, we're so excited to have you, Colin, and your busy schedule <laughs> of interviews to interview you and your tweets. Uh, so we're very excited. And we wanted to ask you, uh, 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 this is a, uh, a little interview from the three of us about the relevance of um, what you know about that's now being displayed in perhaps the programme like The Crown. What are your thoughts on how Thatcher, the Queen, these, these people are displayed uh, when you actually had audiences or interviewed these kind of people? Well, I knew Mrs Thatcher early on in her career, uh, before she was Prime Minister, but I saw a lot of her when she was Prime Minister, and I'm afraid the way she's portrayed in The Crown is more to do with our post-prime uh, ministerial era. And she's portrayed as an old lady with a crick in her neck, without all the energy she had. Furthermore, I don't think she would have ever tried to lecture the Queen on matters of uh, uh, parliamentary procedure or the Constitution or anything like that. She would have been very aware of the Queen's position and the Queen's experience, and she would never have challenged her views on anything she would have listened. And mm. I would think that uh, the Thatcher family could be rather justifiably annoyed with the way she was portrayed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The one uh, uh, item and one programme I did have a lot of uh, knowledge about was when Michael Fagan invaded the royal bedroom and sat on her bed, because I was trying to do a documentary with Fagan about that incident about six years ago. And I met him for several times and I sat down with uh, um, our cameraman and my producer when I was doing this documentary to discuss how we would proceed with it and all I can tell you is he was a not a very articulate man uh, working class which is no problem at all but he would never have been able to express himself as he did uh, to the Queen in the series The Crown. He simply didn't have the vocabulary or the confidence to act like that. He's a fairly, um, how shall I put it, uh, uh, gentleman without much fluency in his life, either in his private life, in his language, or anything else about his life. And he simply couldn't have said the things he was alleged to have said. Oh, and it struck me that this was the writer, Peter Morgan's political views, rather than Fagan's political views. Oh, and uh, that slightly irritated me. Oh, I see. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you think, do you think though, that um, sometimes artistic license has to be taken because otherwise that scene could have been deadly dull and have no tension and have no entertainment value? I understand that point very well, George. But I do think in this instance that everything that came out of his mouth was very political rather than chatty, like asking for a cup of tea or asking for a glass of wine, which is in fact what I'm sure actually went on because I debated it with him. Uh, they, uh, the writer decided to put a particular point of view about homelessness and the poverty and being working class and not participating. Uh, uh, that His type of person was unable to participate in either the political process or life generally. And I think that was probably too much for him. 
it's not meant to be totally based on fact anyway the crown is it it's um it's you know um, um, fiction as much as anything that's what they're well you know, there's so. plenty of diction and i wouldn't argue with the way for example princess diana was portrayed very accurately uh -huh. and uh, very expeditiously i would say um, it's what's in their mouths. I think you have to say this is largely fictional, although based on a certain amount of fact. But I don't think they've alerted the public to the fact that this is not, this isn't a factual uh, documentary uh, history of the royal family. This is pure drama. And that point should have been made more um, obviously, I think. And the other what thing we know about, sorry, Georgia, it, it, uh, the other things we know about is that you've had an audience with the Queen Mother and you've been around the Queen. And so what's your, and I want to come back to you, Georgia, as well. And uh, what, what's your experience of that? Well, I wouldn't say I had an audience with the Queen Mother. I was invited to uh, pre-lunch drinks with her and she very kindly invited uh, Linda and me to have a 10 minute discussion with her about life in general. <clears throat> she was 90 years old at the time. She had a very sharp brain. We, we came just straight after a Channel 4 executive, and this was at Ascot Racecourse prior to lunch with the trustees there. She had a Channel 4 executive who was desperately trying to uh, get the Ascot contract for Channel 4 away from the BBC. Um. And I've never seen the Queen Mother uh, do a better Je impression of Geoffrey Boycott, who famously was the cricketer from Yorkshire, who blocked every ball. A little bit boring to look at and the Queen Mother managed to block his every entreaty to change the license or the to change the contract from BBC to Channel 4. So when we sat down to have a chat to her, incidentally she asked Linda, uh, my wife, to sit down because she's five foot nine. She was giving the Queen Mother a crick in her neck, uh, which we thought was rather sweet. So we sat down to talk to her and I congratulated her on being like Geoffrey Boycott and she laughed. And then we discussed horse racing, which is her great passion, of course, and the expense of keeping horses in training. And we had a lovely long discussion about that because it's obviously uh, one of my hobbies as well. And so we had 10 minutes doing that. And again, in The Crown, I would say she's portrayed as a very sort of silent, dumpy lady, whereas she had plenty to say for herself. And she probably did have very old fashioned ideas and ideals, but she wasn't portrayed in a very kind light in the crown. Was it, was it down to the royal family who got to film Ascot then between Channel 4 and BBC? Was it down to the Queen? No, Mother? the Queen does own Ascot Racecourse nominally. Right. Right. But of course she has trustees right. uh, who actually make these decisions right. and, and a board of directors. So uh, she could have some influence, of course, but this in fact was the Queen Mother, not the Queen. So they were actually asking the wrong person yeah. at that particular time. But well, I suppose the Queen Mother could have, could have had input into it, yeah. uh, um, but, but she was dealing with the questions he was firing at her uh, very effectively. So we just want to also ask, because your mother also was very influential, had the first television show on ITV. She did indeed, uh, and my stepfather, um, also had the second ever programme, which was an advertising magazine. Um, there is a slight connection with the Queen Mother too. Queen Mother was a great fan of my mother's magazine-based um, soap called Compact in the early 60s. And I believe the Queen Mother was going away on holiday 
and was going to miss the program uh, for two or three weeks. And my mother fielded a phone call from Buckingham, or I think it was actually from Clarence House, uh, asking if there was any possibility that uh, the Queen Mother could come on and talk to my mother about what was going to happen and how, what uh, uh, elements of the program she would miss in the next two weeks. And um, I believe my mother did in fact field that conversation. I was away at university at the time, so I, I only heard of it third hand. But uh, the Queen Mother was very, very keen to know what was happening with the compact storylines. Are you saying that she didn't actually tell her anything? I, I'm not quite sure whether my mother filled the Queen Mother, and I'm sure she would have done, in fact, yes. because she would have known that that wouldn't go any further. I mean, had you been telling a sort of Fleet Street gossip columnist, then it would have ruined it for everybody. Yes. But she was telling the Queen Mother, who I'm sure would have been suitably discreet. And so who, who when you were uh, with Led Zeppelin going on the planes with them, uh, what was your experience then? Well, uh, as I say in the book, I wasn't particularly familiar with Led Zeppelin's music. Um, I was keener on classical music. Uh, and when the um, bureau chief in New York asked me to shoot down to Newark to catch their private jet with them and go on tour to the Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, where they were planning an enormous concert, I, uh, I said to my boss, I said, well, I don't know their music and I don't know who's in the band even. And he said, well, it'd be better because you'll be uh, objective about the whole thing. <laughs> well, it was the most extraordinary experience of my life because having got on their plane, I was photographed with Robert Plant just as we were about to get on their Starship 707, specially adapted for a pop group with uh, jacuzzis and wow. double bedrooms and goodness knows what. Wow. Um, I had a long chat with Robert Plant, who was extremely charming, and then met the manager, Peter Grant, a great big chap who was quite tough and when we uh, got to um, Pittsburgh we landed and there was a cavalcade of 12 stretched limos and I was in number six limo and it, honestly it was like being the president of the United States huge crowds down all the roads police outriders and I'm in number six of 12 limos going to this concert in this enormous baseball stadium I mean it was quite surreal and I've never experienced anything else like that in my life so I had a sort of moment when I felt I was almost president of the world. Um, and then we got to the concert and before the band would go up on the stage, Peter Grant, uh, in my presence, insisted on counting the cash take, which was over $120,000, before he would allow the band to go on the stage. And then I asked if I could be on the stage with them, which was granted because I was having free access on Marvel the Daily Express. And I was stuck there for three and a half hours. Now, I'm not saying uh, <laughs> it was that unpleasant, but I didn't particularly like the music. It was so loud, I could hardly think afterwards. <laughs> the, the amplification was about 100 feet high on either side of the stage. The band went off for a sort of mid-concert mid break and left the drummer there, John Bonham, to do a 20-minute drum solo while they rested. And I was still stuck on the stage, unable to go and have a pee, unable to rest my ears or anything. And when the concert finally finished, just after midnight, I've never felt more relieved in my life. It wasn't a pleasant experience. I have to say, because I wasn't a Led Zeppelin fan, I didn't know any of the music. Some of the music I've listened to since is terrific, but uh, this was a novel experience for me at the time. 
Was it was it a shocking experience at all? Because that was the their most famous year. So they were, you know, probably sex and drugs and rock and roll and Oh, there was all that going on. It wasn't so much shocking as eye-opening. And of course, uh, I mentioned in the book, there was a terrible follow-up story because when the band ended the tour, they went working in New York at the time and uh, Peter Grant put all their cash takings, which was way oh. over half a million dollars, uh, into the hotel safe and got the, the night clerk to do this. And the night clerk suddenly thought, this is going to represent a change of my circumstances. And 24 hours later, the uh, safe was opened again. The night clerk disappeared into, over the horizon and all Led Zeppelin's money went with it. Now, I imagine, I don't know for certain, because uh, I left New York before the whole thing was resolved. I don't think the clerk was ever caught, to the best of my knowledge. And I imagine the hotel's insurance had to cough up whatever Led Zeppelin said was in the safe but it was an extraordinary follow-up story mm -hmm. wow and and what about your story with figs george did you want to ask a question your story with figs yes <laughs> i can answer it really long, like. this is too long now they're not going to watch all of this it's too long no no yeah. no i, I would say end with, with the end with the led zeppelin story darling. sorry no, we five minutes first uh, okay <laughs> 